Ah, there we are. That's me. <laughs> Checking the name on the sign. Uh, we're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes 12 today. Um, we've been through a lot as a nation the last couple of weeks. And what I'm amazed about is that we have this book that actually puts some of the emotions we have in words that describe our sense of grief as we see a loss of innocence and we see broken people in a broken world. And so Ecclesiastes 12 kind of gives words to the grief that we feel. And we're going to start in verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high. And terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth, earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with all of you this morning. Before we begin, I just want to acknowledge something, and Lori um, did a wonderful job reading that scripture. She acknowledged something. She led on to something, too. This morning in our passage, we're going to talk about what it means to age and to grow older. And much of our time together, we'll be looking at how, as how we get older, there's difficulties and challenges that come with growing into adulthood. Spoiler, it's not going to be an easy topic. But here at the outset, I want to acknowledge a tragedy that happened this week. I'm sure you heard about the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, an act of horrific violence. 19 young students and two teachers were robbed of their chance to grow old. And even though I'm going to have some difficult things to say about aging, <laughs> and that's really based on what the teacher in Ecclesiastes has to say, I also want to say something else as we begin. And this might be obvious to you, but it just needs to be said. The opportunity to grow old should never be robbed from someone, should never be taken like it was for those 21 people. And my heart has been heavy this week, and it made me think about my last Ecclesiastes sermon, which opened our series where we talked about human progress or 
how it really feels like we haven't really made any. And I wondered to myself this week, shouldn't we be able to find a way to stop mass shootings from happening? Shouldn't we be able to? If I'm honest with you, I really feel like we should be able to. (laughs) And that frustrates me. I could keep going on that point, but right now I just want to take a few seconds to pray just for the victims of this tragedy, for that fa- their families, that community, and our country. So if you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads one more time, let's pray. Almighty God, there are no words sufficient for the horror of this act. We weep for these dear little innocent ones, just as Jesus wept for his friend Lazarus. Our hearts are grieved for the suffering of these families and that community. Lord, be close and comfort all those who ache with overwhelming pain. Give us the courage to take bold steps to do all that we can to make sure this never happens again. Give politicians and our country's governing officials the courage to act in such a way where gun violence and mass shootings become no more. And Lord, give us the strength and endurance to trust you in these times and to be a voice of hope in Jesus for all those who struggle through this extended time of grief. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. Amen. Thanks for praying with me, friends. There really is no easy transition from that, so let's just get into it. In about a month or so, it's going to be my birthday. So mark it on your calendars, July 4th. You're going to have that day off, so make some time in your calendar for me. Um, you know, when, to the kids in the room, we have some kiddos in the room. When you guys' birthday gets near, you probably get excited, don't you? When your birthday is a few days away, you start anticipating the birthday party, the pinata, the cake, the presents, all of that. And it's all fun stuff. And that will not be me on my birthday. <laughs> For those of us who are a bit older, most of the excitement around birthdays maybe lasts into your mid-20s or something like that. But after that, something else happens when our birthdays come around. We think about other things. Some people become more reflective. Some just start thinking about life a little bit more. Some of us might start thinking about our hopes and our dreams. I think for the most part, though, around our birthdays, we just start to think about what it means to get older. For many of us, that's not exactly our favorite thing to think about. But then there's one day we often hear about, or we have experienced ourselves, where we pass a threshold. And that threshold goes like this. We go from thinking about getting older to just feeling old. And this is different for everyone, but we all have that day where we start to feel old. And I get it. Some of you are listening to me and you're like, Ben, you're 30, man. What do you know about getting old? And don't talk to me about that when you're not that old. And I hear you, but that threshold is different for all of us, isn't it? Maybe it was the first time you ordered a drink and you slid your ID across the table and she goes to the bartender, she goes, now you're good. Or maybe it was the time you finally realized you just needed to stop and ask a young person for help with your phone. Or maybe it, real, maybe it was when you realized you were just starting to read like this. That's one of my favorites. Regardless of what it actually was, some of you are here today and have experienced that moment where you felt old. Maybe for you it was years ago. Or others of you are sitting here intrigued because you've never, never actually felt that moment. But let me tell you, just you wait, it's coming for you. It comes for all of us. And I say all of this just to make the point that our natural reaction to that day, that day where we start to feel old is a kind of revulsion. 
We don't want to get old, do we? And this is reflected not just in our individual responses to getting older, but it is reflected in our culture as well. There's this fascinating article that the Washington Post put out just a few weeks ago, and it said this, that there's this burgeoning industry that's making headlines, and that by 2025, this industry is going to be worth $610 billion. You know what this industry is? Well, one of the companies on the front lines calls what they are doing as reversing disease. It's anti-aging. What the Washington Post article makes clear is that it's really about immortality. The article says this, immortality might seem like the stuff of science fiction, yet it is increasingly becoming the focus of real science. In 2013, Google launched Calico, a biotech firm whose objective it is to solve death. PayPal co-founder Peter Thiel, meanwhile, has pledged to fight death. And last year, it was reported that Amazon chairman Jeff Bezos had invested in Altos Labs, a company that plans to rejuvenate cells in order to reverse disease. You want to know how billionaires are spending their money? (laughs) They want to figure out how to stop aging. They want to be immortal. They want to live and be youthful forever. And there are other industries trying to preserve youthfulness too. One of them is elective cosmetic surgery. The United States is now number one in elective cosmetic surgery, with men being the fastest growing customer. Yeah, that was an interesting reaction, yeah. Hmm. There are also services, and maybe you've seen this, where you can be frozen after you die in hopes of resuscitation in the future. So for only a few hundred thousand dollars, you too can be stored in a freezer in hopes of eternal life. At a cultural level, There is this insanely powerful and ultimately fruitless obsession with looking young for as long as possible. We want to avoid the fact that time marches on. It marches all over our bodies. It marches all over our face with or without our consent. The brilliant writer Carl Ove Knausgaard says it this way in his novel My Struggle, old age, all the facial detail is visible. All the traces of life has left there, have, there are to be seen. The face is furrowed, wrinkled, sagging, ravaged by time. But the eyes are bright, and if not young, then somehow transcend the time that otherwise marks the face. It is as though someone else is looking at us from somewhere inside the face, where everything is different. One can hardly be closer to another human soul. Time marches on. We wear it in our faces, in our bodies, and ultimately, we'll feel it when our bodies give out on us. We will get old, or or we are old. It might be in our future, or it might as well be now. All of us have the same thing coming for us. Do we refuse to reckon with the fact that this will become true of us, or maybe it is already true? Of us. In our passage today, the teacher, or in Hebrew, Kohelet, he makes one point very clear, and his point is this. If we are trying to avoid the idea that we're old, or avoid the fact that our days are numbered, or avoid the reality that we have lost our youth, or avoid the responsibilities of life by saying we don't need to focus on tomorrow, just live for today, if any of those things describes us, then the teacher says we are living unwisely. There's also one wisdom, one piece of wisdom the teacher gives us to remedy that avoidance problem. And here it is. It's never too early to remember your creator. It's never too early to remember your creator. 
And you know, I find it interesting that this is the last topic the teacher addresses in Ecclesiastes. So it's almost as if he's an old man and he's finishing his memoir and he looks back on his life and when he looks back at all the things he has to say, he leaves us with one piece of advice and it's this, it's never too early to remember your creator. And you might be wondering, like me, why? Why would he leave that as his final word? Why is that his last piece of advice? And I think it's simple. I mentioned it before. It's because time is coming for you. By saying it's never too early to remember your creator, it's the same thing as saying it's never too early to remember that you're a created being. You see, unlike your creator, you have an expiration date. You do. And as, as uncomfortable as that makes us, or as painful as that may be, the better we are at reckoning with that idea, no matter how old or young we are, the better we are at facing it head on, confronting it, owning it, the wiser we will be today. So as we look at our passage today, we're going to see that there are two reasons it's never too early to remember your creator. And once we get a good look at those two reasons, then I'm going to add one more point at the end. I'm just going to tag it on at the end. Just a fair warning like most of the sermons in this series, this is going to be a different kind of sermon. It might not be fun for some of you. For some of you, it already hasn't. Please don't leave. <laughs> I want you to stay and hear what the teacher in Ecclesiastes have to say. Others of you might just feel this resonating with something deeply inside of you. Wherever you find yourself, let me encourage you just to sit with the passage this morning. So let's go for it. We are towards the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 12. And much of Ecclesiastes feels poetic, but this part of the book is very poetic. There's a lot of imagery that isn't necessarily easy to understand. At the same time, that imagery is powerful once we understand what the teacher is doing. He begins by using imagery to describe the decaying of our bodies with age. Look at what he has to say in verse one. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all of the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going on to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. What imagery did you notice there? There's a house and a street, and there's some other things. But what the teacher is ultimately talking about here is what happens to a person as they age. He's essentially saying, listen, it's never too early to remember your mortality because one day your body is going to begin to shut down. Your bones will start to weaken and to tremble. Your eyes will grow dim. Your ears aren't going to hear so well. The teacher is reminding us that it's never too early to remember our creator because our bodies will end up letting us down. Our bodies will let us down. Let me take you back just real quickly to what we talked about in the second sermon in our series, which was about pleasure. And if you weren't here, that's okay. I'm going to kind of describe it for you. In chapter two, the teacher gorges himself on sensory experiences that come with beauty and pleasure. 
So he talks about seeking out all that he could experience with his eyes, with his ears, with his stomach, and in his bed. And he was soaking up all the pleasure he could find. But now he looks back, and what's happened? All of those sensory experiences, they have faded with age. His eyes can't see like they used to. His ears can't hear like they used to. His stomach can't handle things like it used to. His body doesn't work like it used to. Again, all of those sensory sensory experiences he once enjoyed, they've all grown dim. In fact, in verse 5 of our passage, he mentions this phrase. He says, desire fails. And in the original language, this literally describes a well-known aphrodisiac, the caperberry, not working anymore. So yes, that's about sex, but it's really a reminder that all forms of pleasure will fail. The body wears down. Our bodies, they break down, and at some point or another, our bodies will let us down. While I was preparing for this sermon, and particularly this part about our bodies letting us down, I couldn't help but think about the iconic poet Jim Harrison. Jim Harrison passed away fairly recently in 2016. He wrote a huge collection of poetry, novels, and even wrote some film scripts, um, some famous films that you've probably seen. He, He wrote them. And I know we like to imagine the teacher in Ecclesiastes being a particular person. Like a lot of people have ideas and speculate on who the author of Ecclesiastes is or who this person is. And if I'm honest with you, I'm not sure that we should do that. But with that said, if I was to personify the teacher in any way, I think it'd be that picture right there. (laughs) It'd be that guy. Jim was a man who lived large. He was a man who pursued a lot of pleasures. One time he bragged about eating a 20-course meal in a small town in France and how the next day the sewage pipes in the city couldn't handle it. He had, yes, he had an ability to be really eloquent and tender, but then equally as coarse and rough. And people who knew him said he enjoyed food and drink, but he, and he spent much of his money whenever he had it. As he got older, if you look at the development of his poetry, we can see his poems shift a little bit. Often in his poetry, he mentions something about the difficulties of aging. And there's a short poem he wrote towards the end of his life that I think captures it well. It's called Another Country. And if you hate poetry, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to bear with me for 30 seconds as I read it. He says this, I love these raw, moist dawns with a thousand birds you hear, but you can't quite see in the mist. My old, alien body is a foreigner struggling to get into another country. The loon call makes me shiver. Back at the cabin, I see a book, and I'm not quite sure what that is. The line, my old, alien body is a foreigner struggling to get into another country. This is such a kind of intense description of what it's like to be living in a body that is old and doesn't feel like the body you once knew. I also love the line he finishes with, with, and I actually find it really funny. He rewrites, back at the cabin, I see a book, and I'm not quite sure what it is. He's talking here about his failed eyesight, right? You know he's getting old. He just can't quite see like he used to. Jim Harrison, in a few poignant lines, captures the inevitability and the difficulty of aging. At some point, we are going to feel like we are living in a body that is foreign to us. We're going to look at it and see and say, that is a stranger to me. It feels like our own body is leading us to another country that we haven't been to yet and we might not want to go to. Our bodies are going to let us down. I want to acknowledge that I'm aware for some of you, you've already experienced this reality. 
whether it be the natural aging process or cancer or chronic pain, whatever it might be, you know it well. You know what it means to have your body let you down. And I'm aware, too, that some of you haven't needed old age to teach you that your body will let you down. You experience that reality much earlier than some. All the teacher is doing here is to remind us that we really cannot fully trust ourselves to our bodies. That's what he's saying. Even in our youth, when things still feel pretty good, even when uh, as good of a gift as our bodies really are, and all of these extensory experiences that can be delighted in and enjoyed, all of these will grow dim. And so if we root our happiness only in our bodies, our identity and our sense of meeting will be tied too closely to them. And in the process of finding happiness there, we forget we are finite creatures. We have limitations. Our bodies will let us down. And when they do, what will you do with that? The teacher doesn't stop there. There's another reason we must remember our creator. As we age, our bodies will let us down, but also life will only get harder. If you look back at verse 2, we kind of breezed over it earlier. The teacher says this, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. This is some poetic imagery as far as I can tell. The teacher is doing something, and what he's doing is he's describing the journey of life. He's describing the process of aging like it's the gathering of darkness. Getting older is just like the clouds filling up the sky. They block the sun during the day, and at nighttime they cover any remaining light the moon and stars have to give. What a somber way to describe getting older, isn't it? Now go with me here. If you've ever been to the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., then you've done something right. If you've never been, you're doing something wrong. You should go to the National Gallery of Art. When I was in D.C. about five years ago, it was my favorite stop. I could spend a whole week in the National Gallery of Art, but there were only a few. I was only there for like a little over half a day. And out of all the paintings that I saw there, I remember just standing in front of like this set of four paintings, and I was captivated by it. This set of four paintings is called The Voyage of Life, and you're going to see them here in a moment. They're painted by an artist named Thomas Cole. I have a print in my apartment. It's not yet hung up. I've had it for years. I just haven't hung it up. What Cole is doing throughout these four paintings is he's tracing the journey of life by following a man down what he calls the river of life. So here's the first of the four paintings. This painting is called Childhood. And you'll notice in the first painting, the sky is bright. You see the blueness of the sky. It looks like the sun is shining. The water of the river, it's smooth and peaceful. The flora and fauna surrounding the river is really luscious and green. And this setting continues in the next painting, which is called Youth. Notice this painting is similar, but there's a distinct difference, too. You'll see a large tower in the background, and that's supposed to just represent the aspirations and daydreams that come with being young and having all of your life ahead of you. Now, it's about to take a sharp turn. In this next painting, this next painting is called Manhood. It's very different, isn't it? Notice the dark, cloudy sky. Notice the river is no longer smooth. It's approaching some rapids. There's jagged rock faces. 
all of this is supposed to represent the tribulations and challenges that come with growing into adulthood, with experiencing what it is to grow older. And the last final painting is similar. This one is called Old Age. Here the water has slowed down again, and the sky is still dark and cloudy, and it looks like the sky has begun to part, and there's someone there beckoning the man home. I remember standing in front of these paintings. I was 25, coming into my adulthood years, and I was thinking, you know what? I bet this is about right. And little did I know, it was. <laughs> it was. The next five years of my life looked very different than I thought they would. Let me read verses one and two for you one more time. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. There is something about getting older that means we just encounter more darkness. As the teacher says, getting older is the experience of clouds filling up the sky and darkening the light from the sun. And I'll be honest with you, this topic is not easy for me to talk about. <laughs> Maybe you've noticed I'm not the oldest person in the room. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that I've experienced all that life has to offer. At the same time, I have had the privilege, because of my vocation, to be with a lot of people in different states of life, including stages of life I have not experienced yet myself. And while I see a lot of joy in many people who are years ahead of me, like I see the joy of even my parents becoming grandparents and welcoming grandchildren and the joys of friendship in a lot of ways that's renewed once children have left the nest and don't need as much time and attention. I see many joys that come with getting older. But I have also seen the gathering darkness that the teacher describes in our passage and that Thomas Cole paints in his paintings. I have seen life get harder with age and not easier. I've seen parents worry about their children and decisions that they're making. I've seen families break apart and refuse to talk with one another, husbands and wives to each other, children to parents, siblings to siblings. I've seen people find their bodies getting harder and harder to manage. There's more doctor's visits, more physicals, more chronic pain, more medications, more disappointments of not being able to understand what's happening in their body. All of that stuff can be overwhelming and stressful, and beyond that, it's just hard and scary. And most of us young people haven't even imagined that stage of life yet. Finances get tougher. Careers peak sooner than we think. Jobs are lost. New careers are started. There are seasons we wonder, what have I really offered the world? Perhaps the most difficult that I've observed is the grief and loss that increases with age. I've seen people struggle deeply because the older they get, years of their lives seem to be spent burying people that they've known and they've loved. Death as we age becomes more and more real to us. And this is partially because our own death looms larger. But if we are blessed enough, right? If we're blessed enough, we are the ones who begin to outlive the ones that we have loved. Parents, spouses, siblings, friends. You see, when we're young, we take vacations to see friends. We attend weddings and bridal showers and baby showers and graduations. 
But as we get older, we travel to see loved ones who are sick. We start to cherish time with those who we might not see in this life again. We spend time reminiscing and often saying goodbyes. All of this constitutes the cloudy darkness that the teacher is describing in our passage. Now, I don't want to paint a picture that's too doom and gloom. (laughs) I know that with age, joy and love can increase as well. I have seen many older folks who ooze joy and their eyes are bright with the love of life. There are people that I know that are 60, 70, 80, and there's just joy that just oozes out of their eyeballs. And I'm like, I want to be like you when I'm 60 or 70. But this doesn't mean they haven't experienced the reality that life gets harder. Typically, it means they've experienced the brokenness of the world. They've experienced the brokenness of their bodies, their own mortality, and they've responded to these challenges through the lens of faith. There are many, even at our own downtown campus, who I've been a witness to and a beneficiary of their joy, their trust, their service, and their love, and all of that has grown over years of faithfulness to Jesus. Part of remembering our creator and our own mortality is pouring into a faith that will guide us when these difficulties come. The more we can reckon with and take seriously the brevity of our lives, the impermanence of our health, the days that go by quicker and quicker, the wiser we will become, not only in our old age, but in our youth as well. So the teacher says to us, it's never too early to remember your creator. Why? Because life will only get harder. And your body will end up letting you down. And after that, he doesn't really give us much practical advice. (laughs) He just says it. There's no three-step plan that he gives after that. And because there's no three-step plan, at this time, I want to add a little something to what the teacher has to say to us today. Like the teacher, I don't have any real practical tips either. I'm not a pro at getting older. I don't claim to be. But I do think we can do one more thing than just remember our creator And here it is. This is the last thing we'll talk about. I think we can hope in our Redeemer. I think we can hope in our Redeemer. Why? Why do I say that? Because in every passing day, for those who are found in Christ Jesus, we are one day closer to the renewal of all things. Even as we age, every day that passes means that renewal only gets closer. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What Paul says here is so important. He's saying that the pain of aging, this specter of death that we all work so hard to avoid, it is preparing in us a weight of glory, a beauty so immense that it is not at all comparable with what we experience now. The Christian faith is one that promises renewal to all things, including our very bodies. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he wasn't raised into some spiritual abstract form. No, the claim of the Christian faith is that Jesus was raised into a physical glorious body. We too share that same hope, that one day our very bodies will be renewed with Jesus. So the teacher is right. 
Right now we are wasting away, but we are not wasting away into nothing. The wasting away we experience, when we are found in Christ, it's like the shell that falls away from a seed. There is beauty and wisdom and glory that will make all the sad things, even today, that we experience melt away. If we could see the eternal impact of the entirety of our lives, we would not even try to compare it to the most beautiful youthfulness that we work so hard to try to keep in this life. We must remember our creator. We must take seriously our frailty, our impermanence, and our own death. But we shouldn't be afraid of them. Not when we have hope in Jesus. Would you pray with me, please?